group experience is a new and refreshing way for you, your friends, or your family to travel. Check the show notes to learn more. What is going on? This is Stevie G, and you are listening to DBE, the podcast designed for students of travel. Make sure to visit Destinations Beyond Expectations on Instagram and Facebook so you can be in the know with all the updates happening with the show. Remember, you can find DBE on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or anywhere else podcasts are available. And to add to that, you can visit dbetravel.com and listen right from there as well. And of course, make sure to tell a friend about the show. When we think of airplanes, often we think of convenience. How awesome is it that we can fly to a new destination hundreds of miles away in just a few hours? While flying is convenient and time efficient, it can also make many people feel uneasy. The thought of flying in the sky is daunting to some. In fact, millions of Americans have a fear of flying. My guest today is comedian, podcast host, content creator, jack of all trades, Mark Malkoff. Now, Mark had a fear of flying, but he was presented with a unique opportunity to help conquer that fear. Back in 2009, former airline AirTran wanted people to take notice of a new Wi-Fi service they were offering to enhance the in-flight experience. AirTran knew Mark was a genius when it came to creative content, so they asked him to live on an airplane for an entire month and document his journey. Mark's 30-day journey brought AirTran some great publicity, but it also helped Mark conquer his fear of flying and he ended up walking away with a world record for the most flights taken in a month's time. I had a blast talking to Mark about his unprecedented airline adventure, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Mark Malkoff. All right, Mark, welcome to Destinations Beyond Expectations. Thank you so much for joining the show. Steven, thank you so much for thinking of me. Of course. Now, you're really interesting. Back in 2009, I believe, um, you actually set a world record with what was AirTran Airways, now that belongs to Southwest. Um, but can you give me a general overview? What was that world record, and how did that all come about? I wanted to get over my fear of flying. I had a genuine fear of, of flying. So I, sometimes with my videos especially, I will think of extremes, like how will I get, how can I get over my, because uh, I did these really stunty comedy videos that would make the news a lot. And um, I was like, how do I get over my fear of flying? And there's a, my solution was to fly, make myself fly over and over again where I, I was trapped. And I thought um, I'll live on a, an airplane for a month to get over my fear of flying. And I don't know how many flights I'm going to do. I don't know if it's going to work. Um, but originally, I wrote this up as a treatment for Virgin Airline. And I was going to approach the Richard Branson people. And then... I put the, the idea away, just let it kind of uh, stay still for a, a little bit. And then I get a message from, uh, yeah, there's this other airline, AirTran, which I'd never even heard of, that wanted to, to know if I was interested in living on their plane for a month. And the reason being is because I did this I did this video project called uh, Mark Lives in Ikea. I lived in Ikea in January, I think it was like 08, and it was I mean, it was international news. I mean, it was the the, the press on this was uh, unbelievable. I mean, the, my friends in other countries and stuff. So, 
they knew who I was and they, they wanted to promote, uh, promote their GoGo Wi-Fi, which was just launching. I mean, Wi-Fi on an airplane was revolutionary <laughs> at the time. I think they were the first. So they, they, um, they asked me if I'd do it. And I said, not only will I do it, I have the same idea. I have all the video stuff that I want to do and everything. So, uh, yeah, it was just uh, everything coming together. I mean, it was, it was one of those things where everything aligned. Yeah, it's funny how that works sometimes, how things just align and everything comes together and the timing of it. Um, so I, I did want to ask, you know, on your 30-day journey, you mentioned you didn't know where you were going to fly to before you went in, but how many places did you end up flying to? Oh, I think it was like 13 or 12. I did a, uh, oh my goodness, I'd have to look at my Guinness World Record, but it was like 150-some flights or 160-some flights in a month. And it was, I think it was just like they had... They had like the same routes. It was not international and it wasn't anything. I think like kind of like the, the one place that I only went once was Branson, but I think every other place it just seemed, and it never mattered if we were delayed or anything, which only happened like once, like I couldn't get off the plane. Um, yeah, it was one of those things where it, every night we'd start in Atlanta, end in Atlanta, and I'd sleep alone on the plane. I'd get on the, a tarmac. I never went into public for the entire month. So I would go to a, a new plane, uh, and then we'd do it all over again, and then back to Atlanta, and then I'd go on uh, another plane from the time sleep. So, uh, yeah, it took me about, um, I don't know, it took me about a week and a half to get over the, over the major, the, the, the most of my anxiety and my fear of flying nonstop. That's very interesting. I, I mean, you, you mentioned that you you know, your home base was pretty much Atlanta. Um, but you did make some really neat stops along the way. One of which was in Richmond where you raced remote control cars with Danica Patrick. Do you remember that experience? And what can you tell me about that? Danica Patrick crushed me in remote <laughs> control toy cars. I really think, uh, that, that somebody, I don't know, they messed with my batteries or messed with my car. Cause it's like, How's it gonna look if like if the, this random dude beats Danica Patrick? She she I'm sure I'm kind of joking but kind of not. But I mean she crushed me just on uh yeah on these like remote control cars. I mean it was embarrassing, but um that was fun. Yeah, we had some memorable memorable tarmacs. I, I was able to go on tarmacs, but not into public for for the month. Uh, but that was definitely what she she was she was fine. She seemed pleasant and. Uh, yeah, she seemed confident. She knew she was going to crush me, and she did. Yeah, that must have been neat because I mean, she's a a big figure, a celebrity, and must have oh, been yeah. a cool experience. Oh my goodness, absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, look at like what she's accomplished, and, and uh, yeah, she it just turned out she was a um, one of the spokespeople for AirTran, and she was around, and we did this thing, and uh, yeah, it was definitely a very cool thing. I was uh, very happy that we that I got to do that. So the, one of the things I really wanted to ask you about is like, how did you sleep? You mentioned that you, you slept in the, the plane by yourself at night. Did you ever like sleep during the day on flights? And, and how was it getting sleep at night on the plane? Was that difficult? It was difficult. It's hard. I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't know if I ever slept during the day just because I probably did a little bit, but just because the planes don't recline enough. Like I have to be much more back to sleep. And it was one of those things where at night, it, it was hard just because I we would get in Atlanta and then I'd go, I have to have to go on another plane that was already grounded um, to sleep. And 
they would be so trashed by the end of the night. The cleaning crew would take sometimes like four or five hours to clean an airplane. Wow. So, I mean, it was just one of those things where I'd be there and just like, I mean, it was almost like that they were vacuuming around me and stuff. Like, I just, all I wanted to do was go to sleep. And then I was probably sleeping like five hours, four hours a night. And then TSA would come on, come on once in a while during the night and they'd say, Mark, is that your suitcase? And I said, yes, it is. I'm the only one here. And they said, sorry, Mark, go back to sleep. So we did that. That was uh, interesting. But then I wake up in the morning and I had this, uh, I had a, what was called then at least, the CIDA badge, which, I mean, this was huge. I mean, I had to go to Atlanta and I'd, yeah, background check. And I had to, I had to take uh, like uh, a test or some sort of thing that I passed where I got a CIDA badge, which meant that I could walk around uh, the tarmac in Atlanta unaccompanied. So you have to imagine this visual in the morning with, with this dude with a sleeping bag and a pillow and a ro- <laughs> like a suitcase on wheels. Um, so yeah, people were doing double take city. And um, if, if somebody looks questionable, they're supposed to come up to somebody that has a, a CIDA badge and let me see your CIDA badge. And that would happen sometimes. And I'd show them my CIDA badge and they, they kind of couldn't believe it. And then I had the right then to ask to see their CIDA badge. So sometimes I'd be, I'd do that. Let me see yours. Okay, you seem legit. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I get, you know, what's interesting is you are someone who has put out a lot of creative content and, you know, things like this, things like the Ikea thing you had mentioned too. When people, you know, look at you funny, I guess, what do, what do you make of it? Do you kind of brush it off? Is it fun? Do you kind of have fun with it? Or how do you approach that? I always looked at it just as comedy content. I did, oh, did comedy in college and I did more sketch comedy and stuff. I did a little stand-up. And uh, I just looked for, for that. And then it just, I, I started making, I did a, um, like one or two comedy videos and they started making big news. And I was like, wow, I'm just going to keep doing these. People seem to, to like them and entertain. And then, you know, I was able to monetize, which was amazing and start, because I was getting so much press that, um, companies were paying me and stuff so it was one of those things that i just never kind of it really didn't occur to me that that stuff would happen but it just it kind of happened and then it was just um it was just like such a journey i mean it was like learning a journey i mean living on a plane for a month after, after a week and a half every pilot wanted to meet me every flight attendant wanted to meet me and i only say that because they couldn't believe that i actually was afraid of flying and they all Said, what is your what, what what specifically do you have issues with? And I would tell them, and they said, Mark, all turbulences is being in the ocean and going over a wave. It's driving over gravel. If there's no turbulence, that is a bad thing. So enough pilots and flight attendants either legitimately, uh, you know, they they made me confident or they said the right words because you know we're flying like five to seven times a day most of the time, and after a week and a half of hearing all that. Um, yeah, I just got more comfortable. Uh, but I have to say, psychologically, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, a month, um, not going into public. And uh, yeah, once I hit halfway mark, I was going to be okay. And I just think a lot of it was lack of sleep. I had to get up early to do interviews, which I was happy to do. I mean, come on. That was great. But I, I, I'm not one of those people. And I know people. It's very, very rare they can sleep three or four hours in, in function. All right. Um, or function pleasantly or like um, just with lots of energy. So that it was just, um, yeah, it was down adrenaline a lot. Um, but yeah, it was definitely this, this, this 
30-day journey where I'm, I don't know, I write a book, but it was definitely stuff I never imagined. But um, yeah, the slave thing was rough. It's, it, you know, it's fascinating because you talk about your fear of flying and when you look at it from the outside, you're like, how did this person who, who went in having a fear of flying walk out with a world record? I mean, that is kind of a little bit mind-blowing to think about. Can you talk to me a little bit about, like, I guess, what was your level of fear and what was more helpful, talking to pilots and, you know, everyone in the air, airline industry or actually going through the motion of being on the plane or maybe both? I think both, and I just want to go on record. I didn't know I set a Guinness World Record. I didn't know they put my face on an airplane the last day, and it would be a commercial airplane for six months with my face all over the country. It just, it, it, I never, that, that stuff never occurred to me. And I think it was a combo. I mean, it was definitely forcing myself to fly. Um, and that was my main thing. And the, the, the pilots in the air, um, the flight attendants, it, that didn't occur to me that they would want to, I don't know, talk me through it, but I really think it was the combination. And then I felt so bad because all these people across America were messaging me and asking for help because they, I mean, the fear of flying, I knew people had, but it was just to getting the emails and the messages and like, oh my goodness, and asking for me to try to help them and like what worked for me. And uh, these were people that would buy the airline tickets and just not show up the day because they had so much anxiety. They'd eat the money. Yeah. And um, I tried my best and just what worked for, for, for me. Um, some people said it really helped. I have no um, I, I, idea. But um, that was, for me, that was the key, both of those together. Well, how are you now with your fear of flying? Do you feel comfortable like getting on an airplane now? Or do you still have in the back of your mind any kind of fear or anxiety when you step on a plane? I mean, as long as it's like a regular commercial plane, I'm, I feel fine. I mean, the turbulence still, um, once in a while, if it's bad, I, I get some, I get anxiety. But overall, it's night and day. I mean, I really feel like it's night and day. Um, it's, yeah, it started, it just got to the point where when I was flying, I just, I don't know. It was, I, I mean... I think I had more anxiety about flying and more um, just issues than 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 um, a lot. I don't want to say it was as bad as the, a lot of those people that just wouldn't show up to the airport. I'd show up, but the like just gripping the you know gripping the seat the, or the um, yeah the entire time the armrests and just tensing up. Um, yeah, lots of prayer. I'm a prayer guy anyway. Um, teach Sunday school, go to church, but I had lots of praying. So I I am a little curious, like going through this whole process of 30 days flying nonstop, what was the biggest thing you learned about airplanes or the airline industry? Uh, Airline, airplanes, I didn't know how filthy they'd be at the end of the night. Like, I I mean, it was just like, come on, most of people are adults. I mean, really, are you going to trash this? I mean, it it just, that was um, one thing I didn't know. And then. The other thing I didn't really, I guess it can happen is um, there are a couple times where they they changed, I guess, gates or where I was landing and stuff just based on so I could make the next plane, the air, the um, actual air train. I'm sure they worked it out with whoever. I don't know how it works with the, uh, with the flight people and stuff, but they were able to actually change things like last minute, which I thought was like locked. 
pretty locked in and stuff. Um, I think that's, I think that to, to my extent with the airline industry, that was, that was like, that's all, those are like two things that I learned. I'm sure that there was, uh, there was so much more, at, um, but definitely like the power of asking, like, um, I kind of learned that like, um, with, with like the food and the beverages, um, a lot of times they restock and stuff. So people conceivably could ask for like, I don't know, a hundred bags of chips and they might get them. Um, yeah. So that, that was, that was definitely, and I definitely think, um, it, it definitely helps, um, uh, the flight attendants, people that treat them nice and with lots of respects. I think like sometimes they'll go out of their way. I've seen it before and I, I knew that was probably true, but I did. Yeah. I witnessed that a bunch. Yeah, I'm sure they, the flight attendants have a lot to deal with. So any kind of niceness towards them can really brighten their day and give them an opportunity to, you know, be really hospitable and, and kind. So I'm sure that pays off. I hope so. They, you know, it was interesting. They, I think that they told me um, that the, their own, their main function, their only function was just, um, I think, like, of course, the beverage cart and snacks. But it was just something that I their main function was because they can't, I guess they can't, or they're not supposed to tell, they can't, they don't have the authority if there's turbulence or whatever to have a passenger sit down. If it says like no seat, uh, have a seat, but they, they, people can still do it legally and go to the bathroom or whatever. But like they say, they have very little authority, which I was surprised. And um, yeah, they're, that, I guess that, that those are their main functions. But other than that, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know. I just thought that they would have more power to be like, I'm sorry, you can't get up and stuff. But they told me they have way less power than I think a lot of people think. Hmm. Very interesting. It's You don't think about that when you step on a plane, but... Um, now, I thought, like, if, like, especially if it's bad turbulence, they're like, you have to stay. And it's like, anybody can do whatever they want. I, they just are very, like, we highly recommend that you don't do this. But I thought like a, a lot of people are like, I, I can't, I'm not, there's, uh, the, the, I couldn't do this. Like I just, there's no, uh, or I'll get in trouble. And uh, according to the people I talk to, that's not <laughs> the case, but I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. So Mark, you're obviously a really talented and creative guy and you do a lot of different things. Um, one of which is being the host of the popular Carson podcast. Um, can you talk a little bit about the Carson podcast and tell us where we can find and support the show? Oh yeah, that's been a journey for seven years, three hundred and I think forty nine episodes that is coming. Is um, yes, yeah, CarsonPodcast.com. and um, I know you're much younger than me, but before Jimmy Fallon, Jay Leno was the host of the Tonight Show, and before him was this guy Johnny Carson, who hosted the show for thirty years, and was the most famous man in, in America. I mean. Steve Martin said as famous as the president, maybe even more recognizable. And the guy had very little to no competition. And what he was able to do with that show and the power of the show and the stars that they made out of the show, um, it's like endless. Like if you talk to somebody like Seinfeld, even with, you know, the, the, the hundreds of millions he's made with his TV show, he still says that the highlight of his career was absolutely going on Johnny Carson and doing stand up. And you get that a lot from these people that are so accomplished. And it's just this completely different era where somebody could just go out and unknown to do stand up and conceivably their life could change the next day if they did really, really well. I mean, it did happen. I mean, I, people have talked to me, they've cried about it. And it was just a very different era. And I, I almost, I've never heard of a talk show host that wasn't in awe 
of Johnny Carter. So, I mean, he, he's still today, like Rolling Stone did some like uh, poll like in 2015. And even though he's been off the air since um, 92, 1992, he's still voted number one. I mean, he's, and uh, for a historical figure, there just wasn't that informa- much information about what went on behind the scenes of the show and with him. So I, I, like like everything, a lot of stuff I do, I have to say at least, is curiosity. I mean, I was curious if I could get over my fear of flying by, by doing the, what I did and it worked. And I was curious. I had all these just questions I wanted to answer. So it turns out if you have over 330 guests over seven years, you get most of your questions answered. That's a, that's at least with this. So. Can you tell me a little bit about the guests you've actually talked to? Because you've had some really cool people on the show. Uh, people have been very nice. I mean, I want to say the reason I've been able to get very famous people is not, I would like to think it's my, my glowing personality, but it's because they never get asked about going on Johnny Carson, or very rarely, definitely not in a, a place where they can talk about it in, in, in length. So it's like, yeah, you have people like, I'm trying to think, you're younger, but like people like Jimmy Buffett, Michael J. Fox, um, Carol Burnett, Neil Patrick Harris. I, I'm trying to think of like people maybe that, that are younger, but like, yeah, it's just people that I, I have to look at the list. It just, it's, it just goes on and on of, um, of, of famous people that have these incredible careers that are willing to sit down with me. And again, uh, people come in like, how do you get these big guests? I'm like, I, I just picked a topic accidentally and I didn't know this, that it was something that they all really were excited about. Jimmy Buffett, uh, who's like, you know, this iconic singer, still tours all around the country, around the world. He told me, Mark, nobody's ever asked me about this. I mean, he's, he's been Jimmy Buffett for like 40, 50 years. And he said it was the biggest thing that ever happened in his career at the time, that that and opening up for the Eagles. So it was just one, one of those things where I, I everything just kind of came together with that one too. So yeah, before I know it, I'm in these people's homes, sometimes offices, sometimes like lately um, over Zoom and stuff, some phoners, but uh, definitely did not expect it. Definitely uh, very, and like people like, like people like Bob Saget, I'm trying to come up with people that your listeners might know. Like they all thank me. Like, like Jimmy Buffett's people were like, um, Margaritaville guy, he's like, they're like, he's so excited to talk to you. And I'm like, he's excited to talk to me, seriously. And it was true, he told me, no one ever asked me about this. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, yeah, so it's like people like Saget and stuff. I mean, the Carson thing was like the biggest deal. I mean, so I, I equate it to like, if somebody did a podcast about the high school or college, if somebody really had a fun time in high school or college, something like that. And there's a podcast where they never get to talk about this thing in length about their fun times. Um, they're more apt to do it than just a, like a regular uh, podcast. So um, yeah, it's been very nice and we keep going. Yeah. And listeners out there listening to this show, I would definitely recommend you you check out the Carson podcast because it's really well put together, you know, well produced. And, you know, like Mark said, he gets to talk to some really interesting people. All those people you mentioned, I think they cross generational lines. Of course, like I, I can, you know, know all those people that you talked about. Jimmy Buffett, Neil Patrick Harris. Um, those are big names that I think you'll know no matter what generation you're in. I hope so. It is one of those things. It's an interview podcast and it's an organic conversation like we're having. I have no idea where the, I, I kind of know where I want the conversation to go, but a lot of it is I've prepped, prepared questions and then we just kind of go wherever they want and cover their, a lot of times cover their other parts of their career 
And some of the episodes are like, um, most of them are at least an hour. Some of them are like over two hours. I mean, it's just, a, it's a chat. Let's see where it's going to go. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely been uh, one another one of those I- adventures that I just, I don't know. Sometimes when people follow the curiosity or they just do something without any expectations. I, didn't, I thought it would last seven episodes. I really didn't think it was going to become something. And I just was curious and I just did it to do it. And that's like, rather than like some people I know who have pockets, like I'm going to do this to get famous and I'm going to do this to like help my career and all this stuff. And I was like, this is a complete accident. So yeah. And then we have Webby uh, nominated, Webby were nominated honorary. It's very, very kind. People have been nice. Awesome. And, and Mark, where else can people follow you maybe on social media or where else can they go to learn more about you? MarkMalcoff.com. I'm on Twitter. Twitter at M Malkoff. Uh, I think I'm Mark Malkoff on Instagram. I'm just kind of all over uh, the place. But uh, those are some some places. Probably markmalkoff.com is the best place. Cool. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, talk about your 30 day journey on a plane. And uh, I really appreciate you, you know, talking talking about your your flight situation. Thank you for asking me. I'm so glad that we got to do this. I just want to disclose to your listeners, I totally dropped the ball. You asked me a long time ago when we were going to do it. And I just, I was going through all the emails and I was like, oh my goodness, Steven. And you were so nice um, that, that uh, yeah, you still wanted to talk to me. We, we, we got to do this and I think you're an excellent host. So good luck with everything. Wow, I really appreciate those kind words. A big DBE thank you to Mark. It was so great getting to chat with him about his 30-day record-breaking journey through the sky. I highly, highly recommend you check out his podcast, The Carson Podcast. It's so well produced, and you get to hear stories about Johnny Carson told directly from household names who made appearances on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. Mark has also put together some really funny and creative content through the years. Make sure to visit markmalkoff.com to check out his very entertaining work. Remember, no matter where you're listening to Destinations Beyond Expectations, Hit that subscribe or follow button, give the show a like on social media, and tell your friends about DBE. That's all I've got. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I will talk to you soon.